0: Ladies and gentlemen, it is your boy, Sam Gilstrap. We're back again. Yes. The Ghost Lights Podcast. It lives. Merry Christmas. Thanks for sticking with us. Happy New Year. Merry uh, Kwanzaa. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Ramadan. Whatever you follow. I hope you're having a great winter solstice, festivus, everything.
1: Happy holidays.
0: Happy holidays. That is the dulcet tones of Peter <laughs> Trent. Our, our special guest tonight, Peter, how the hell are you? Oh,
1: fantastic, Sam. Thank you for having
0: me. Oh, I'm glad we you're here. We finally made it. We finally made it happen. I
1: think it's been like two months us trying yeah. to
0: do this. Yeah, two months of us, like, we're just playing phone tag. It's like you're a Tinder date that I don't want to meet. It's not a
1: good phone tag <laughs> yet because he's just Facebook messaging me because I don't even have his number yet. No. Because we haven't reached that level in our relationship somehow.
0: I guess not, yeah. I, I mean, It's I, just I, not true. It's not true. It's, not true. It'll, it'll, it's bound to change. Um, just text me your phone number today. I'll need your number first. Oh, oh, I have to give that to you? Right. Oh, oh my.
1: Isn't it as funny as <laughs> like, the levels of, like, knowing somebody? Like, I had a friend, and we were Facebook messaging, or a guy I knew, and and I was like, why don't you give me your number? And he was like, just hit me up here. And I went through this, like, but oh, I thought we were... Boys, I thought we were close, and it was like a totally line in the sand. And I was like, "All right, I see where we stand. I see where we stand." Where we stand. <laughs> Facebook Messenger friends, but not
0: text status. Well, now I feel terrible. I'm gonna. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna text him my number right now, so we're so we're all happy. Here, I'll
1: plug it in, so I don't have to say it over the
0: podcast. No, no, don't worry about it. I'm just, I'm just sending it to you. You send me a text. Oh, I, I see. You. Yeah, boom, you got it now. Oh, no. See, now we're at that level. Um, if I get arrested, I'm going to text you wow. so I could get uh, bailed out. So you do have money.
1: Yes? That's cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I am a Denver actor, so <laughs> <laughs> put that together. Yeah,
0: it's uh, not a lot of money. Um, hopefully, so, I mean, if I get arrested for peeing in public, hopefully you've got enough bail money for it's that.
1: Just like a, it's like a two hundred dollar ticket.
0: You Is it two hundred dollar ticket? You
1: don't, you don't get arrested. It depends if you're like close to a school. Why do I know so much about this?
0: Um, if you're like close to a school or something, I bet it's because you've got kids. kids. You probably would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, sir, what are you doing here? I am relieving myself. <laughs> On the playground? Yes. At recess?
1: Ooh. Sorry. Oh, choices.
0: Choices. Um, I'm notorious for making bad choices. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> this coming from a teacher. This is, no, I'm a, I'm a, let's be clear, I'm a paraprofessional. And that just means when there are no kids at school, I do not get paid. So Christmas time can be dangerous, but thanks to, oh. yeah, thanks to, thanks to a, a little raise over the, over the summer that kept me from going to Santa Fe, feeling good. Nice. Life is good. I can pay rent. Small steps, right? Small, they, steps. I can pay rent. I'm not sleeping on my mom's couch anymore. This is very nice. I think, uh, I recorded a podcast with Christian Mast uh, about a month ago, and that was like three weeks removed from living on my mom's couch. So it was very nice. But my back feels so much better now.
1: Oh, God, I bet. Mm. I bet. Um, I was sleeping on the couch at the cast house down in the Springs, where I, my last show,
0: mm-hmm. working for Theater Works.
1: And it was like. It kind of sucked, but some other actors, they were just like bouncing around moving around because they didn't have houses. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, this is actually just fine. No. only thing that sucks is like when you're, your bed is the couch in the living room with a cast house, you don't get to sleep until everybody goes to sleep. Oh. When somebody wakes up, you're up.
0: That's, that sounds awful.
1: <laughs> <laughs> i was okay. It was okay. You know, I mean, it was worth not having to drive the hour back to Denver or so often.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that trek. I'm going to have to – I won't be able to take time off of work until – what's it called? Tech week. So I'm going to have to drive to and from every day once I
1: start doing Passion Play up there. Oh, my God. You're in Passion Play too? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's going to be so fantastic. So it's you, Betty Hart's in it. Yeah. Um, um, the lady – Hossein Farazenda. Yeah,
0: Hossein. And um, someone else that was with you in... Beatrice. Beatrice. What was... Oh, man, what was their name? We got to look at the phone. Oh, God, she's going to hate me. Everybody. I ran into into
1: them at at Trader Joe's, too.
0: This is riveting podcasting. (laughs) We're trying to remember acquaintances through theater.
1: Bernadette! Bernadette, Bernadette, Bernadette. Sephik! Yes! Bernadette. Oh, I got your I got your message. Oh. Bernadette Sephic. Man, that, that is all star, man. Yeah, it's, it's gonna be a great serious talent. Hey like Bernadette Hossein and I were both in everybody.
0: everybody, yeah.
1: Was you came on closing night?
0: Yeah. you saw me. Ooh. You were you were the everybody. I
1: was the everybody.
0: How was that show like? That show was I, I mean, from one perspective of just being an actor, having to learn those different characters. That are telling the same story, so you've got at least a through line. What was the ch- what was that challenge like?
1: You know, I mean, the, the memorization wasn't so bad. Oh, you know, good. You know, I mean, I feel like after because I've done one man shows,
0: ninety minute one man shows. And mm. Once you like can do that, I feel like stuff like this is 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 fine. Nice. You know?
1: It's like, it's like that one big hurdle where you're like, oh, I can do this. You know, so the memorization wasn't so bad. So to give some background, everybody um, by Brandon Jacob Jenkins. Done by the Catamounts, big ups. Done by the Catamounts, big ups. Um, Great production, but it's essentially a modern rendition of the Greek play Every Man, where one person plays um, in everybody, one person plays the character of everybody, and then there's other characters such as love, death, God, and whatnot. And on stage, there is a lottery that determines which actor will play the role of everybody, the main role. And so there's a, there was an everybody cast, about five, five of us, mm-hmm. and um, we were randomly chosen at the beginning of every day. So this, what was really electric about the experience was the, the pre-show, nice. just the like, what the F is going to happen today, you know, and and the co- consistent preparation, like you couldn't sink into a comfortability with this show, Yeah, you know, like, usually like you open, you go into your second weekend, mm-hmm. third weekend, you're like, mm, cruise control, I'm in a great place, yeah. you know, and But you couldn't do that with the show because you had no idea.
0: Always in the script?
1: Always in the script. We were always in the script. Uh, Hossein and I would get together for lunch and just run lines. Uh, Jason Maxwell and I would get together, do the same. You know, And he ran these lines over and over and over, and you didn't know if you were going to do them again. Like Jason and Hossein. Hossein went... Hussein played everybody preview. Mm-hmm. Jason played everybody opening night, mm-hmm. and they kept those their those lines sharp, even though they never played that role again. Wow, <laughs> that's just the way it worked out, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was I was lucky because um, Tracia Ferris went seven times. I went four. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the cast went one each. Wow, you know, it was only a three weekend run. I think. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, and Amanda Berg Wilson even reached out to, you know, the original production, mm-hmm. and and spoke with some people in that company, and they were they were like, yeah, one actor had an enormous enormous amount mm-hmm. of of times they played everybody, so it, like the way the, the, the scales seem to be skewed in one way or another, but I feel like good balance. Yeah. Well, no, like bad balance, oh, right?
0: But yeah, but I mean, it also allows. I mean, I think you're right. Bad balance. What I think that production does, though, or when it's something like that, I think it binds everyone together. I think that's like a tight bond because you don't know what's going to happen. You got to rely on
1: everybody. Right. There was there was a some sense of um, of comfort when Trisha was picked because we that was our strongest show Mm -hmm. because we did it so many times. Mm Nice. We did it so many times that it was like, cool. We felt like we had a groove in, you know, we, we, we things like, you know, when you, after you open a show, you, you start finding new discoveries and finding new things. But when the scene partners you're having change, um, you, you don't get that. Like the dynamics change and, and you, you're seeing racially charged lines to somebody that's of a different race than what you said before mm-hmm. or the night before. And so it, every night was really fresh, and really new, you know, and you, 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 we didn't have a real chance to build discovery on discovery. You know, I, I felt like by the fourth time that I was doing it, I was getting to that place, mm-hmm. you know, but it, by that time it was over. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's, I, I remember when I uh, when I was reading for it, just how 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 unique a script that was, and how the storytelling was it was so incumbent on the relationships of the people hired to do the work to really flush it out. And I thought Amanda got a great group, or not Amanda, Julie got a great group of people. Julie, yeah, she was. I mean, Karen Slack was so mesmerizing Ugh. as God and then Edith was so much fun. And then like the band of Tufts that created this world yeah. that was the bulk of the storytelling. Like it, like when you guys were sitting together pre-show, mm-hmm. which is, that would, that was really unique to see like, oh, sweet, they're already together. And then you could tell like, like these were all people that had a friendship going already. And that yeah. never seemed fake. And, didn't seem fake from Bernadette and Trisha on the other side of the stage, like they were they were there together. I thought that was really unique. It, it, it was exactly what was required for something like that because there is this tendency for a, like a brain like mine to overreact to the work ahead of you to do that show, and if you fall into that trap of like putting a lot of pressure on yourself and not trusting your director. The material itself and the people assembled around you. Like if you don't trust all three of those aspects, if you don't buy in hundred percent, it could really eat you up. But I thought when I what I saw was fully realized and supported by everybody.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, there was definitely so uh, this sense of camaraderie, especially with the five of us and the everybody cast, because we were all doing something we've never done before, mm-hmm. and there were and that fear that you go into that is definitely calmed when you're sharing that experience with other people, you know? And they, they we we got tight pretty quick, you know, just like just like you do with any good cast. Mm-hmm. You you know, you're on this journey together and when it's some some brand new that you've never been to before, um we, we bound together quickly. And and to give context what you're talking about at the beginning of the show, the the cast is in the audience when the show begins Mm -hmm. and that's in the script and the the cast slowly starts emerging out of the audience so and the the program doesn't have our pictures or we don't have we don't have role names we're all just ensemble so i remember that pre-show um energy where we were all just in the in the audience or or slowly trickling into the audience mm-hmm. and there was this like we were just we were just each ourselves our friends you know with our cohorts that we were doing this show with mm-hmm. but we were also at the time just audience members as if we were going to see a show mm-hmm. you know and and the first 15 minutes is just Karen Yeah, you know, it was just Karen Slack as um as Usher slash God and I mean if you're if you have any participation in Denver theater, watching Karen Slack is probably the best thing you could ever do.
0: Yeah, yeah, she's fucking amazing. <laughs> I yeah. did I did the feed with her, and she is just breathtaking. Which one? The last one they did over the summer.
1: And which was was um, the theme
0: of that one? It was dreams. Dreams. And it was about immigration, essentially, and like oh, finding God. your finding your place here. Like I guess anywhere, but it was predominantly American. Yeah, in America, and she had a she had this monologue from I think it's Sweat that was just done at the Denver Center. Okay, uh, she oh. just oh god tore tore my heart up every night. Just brilliant. Oh. yeah, and it just which it's an amazing show, and then you see her do it, and you're like, oh
1: man, oh,
0: give yeah. me give me her in that whole play. Oh. Give me her in that whole play. She is she's a powerhouse. I know. Yeah, we're going to have her. Absolutely.
1: I mean, Karen Karen Slack was in my very first professional show I ever did. Uh, 2006, Curious Theater, we did War Anthology, amongst other heavy hitting Denver names, But I remember, you know, her coming into the first rehearsal, her first read through, just fully memorized, fully off book, and just like full intention, like, I was like, we could open today mm. with what she's got, and just remember being floored by her work ethic and her honesty. And I mean, my whole career, I feel like has has been really just directed down the road of just trying to be Karen Slack. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are far, far worse roads to go
0: down. So oh, totally. she's but, yeah. We, when, when we were working together, she was just so honest. And one of those few actors that a had the confidence to look you in the eye and tell you when you're lying to her, Mm. which is, wow. I mean, like the first time it happens, I immediately get like, I got this hot sensation, not like, Oh, but like, fuck. What do you mean? What do you mean? I'm lying to you. And for her to like cut through that, like within 30 seconds of us working together, I was like, "Oh shit!" And not even she. It was not even like in the rehearsal. It was like it was like off to the side in the middle of a break. It's like, "Don't lie to me." She's like, "Oh." She's like, "You can look at me. It's okay, and uh, we can go there. It's fine." I was
1: like, "Oh!" And like the second
0: she did that, I mean, like it, ch- it changed everything. Like it made like I wanted to be early to rehearsal every day because it's like it's just me and her. It's just it's just gonna be me and her. And we're gonna play all the time. Like, that was great. And then on the the night that you get to do feed for those of you who are not familiar with the Catamounts feed production, and this is turning into a Catamounts love fest, but I kinda, <laughs> that's okay. I kind of, I, I kind of have to now. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm on, I'm on the team. So, get oh used yeah, to it. that's true. That's yeah. true, right?
1: Congrats, by the way.
0: Thank you. But uh, it's going to turn into a Sam Steelstrap love fest here in a second. No, it's got to oh, go back to Peter. But what I want to say is, uh, if you are not familiar with the feed event. It is one night we give you drink and we give you food pairings that coincide with an idea from the story, the stories that we tell in intervals. And sometimes there's song and sometimes it's just readings. And like I did a Ted talk and had to bring that to life. But that whole night with her was just, we waited an hour to get ready to go and do the show and we talked about life. And we didn't talk about the show at all, go up and we do our first scenes go backstage and wait for five minutes before she's got to go on and vice versa. And we're just talking the entire time. Yeah. Like right before we go out there, high fives, hug it out, look each just other. Getting, in to,
1: getting to know each other. Yeah. As humans, right?
0: Yeah. And that's, I mean, and when you've got somebody who's, I mean, and that takes confidence, not only in themselves, but like confidence in the fact that I'm not saying this because I think I'm better than you. This is not meant to hurt you. This is, this is a person talking and seeing another person. It's okay to be vulnerable right now. Yeah, Like it's okay to do that. And sometimes you need, that, you need to give you, if you can't give yourself that permission and somebody else can in the moment for you, that's something that shouldn't be snuffed at. Like that's, you embrace that. But initially when it happened, like there was the insecure Sam going like, no. And then she said it again. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I don't have to lie. Let's go play. And that's that's really freeing.
1: Brene Brown says the key to courage is vulnerability mm. because when, because those that are brave enough to be courageous are not afraid to be vulnerable because mm. when you, it takes vulnerability to reach that certain kind of courageousness, you know, because when you're great, when you're being brave, being courageous, you're just putting yourself out there, yeah. which takes full, vulnerability. Yeah. you know, um, the feed I did was feed darkness. Oh. that was in 17, I think. Oh, so good. Um, there were monologues in complete darkness. We turned out all the lights and people ate and drank in the dark while we, um, from the corners of the room, gave these monologues that were like all about people in their—I I rock box. People just yeah. at the, the ropes end, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Jason directed that one, and it was it was fantastic. Um, Patrick did a dance with in the dark with nothing, with these with with lights, mm. with these little lights. Um, so it was like a movement piece. Cool. It, was, it was really cool, you know. And I that was something I never experienced as well, first to be performing in a non traditional setting. Mm-hmm. Where you're, you're on the ground floor. Of people sitting and eating. You're walking behind them and through them to talk and perform while they're while they're eating and drinking some of the most greatest food and drinks. I swear. Oh yeah, yeah. God, oh my God it's so good. You know, but yeah, Catamount's doing great things. Great things. Uh, shophead Pete. Shocked
0: a- P, yeah, that's the next one coming up. I don't know who's all in that. I just know it's going to be a really cool musical. You should get those freaking tickets now. The <laughs> Tiger Lilies, uh, one of Amanda's favorite bands. They, uh, they, they basically wrote the music. I think it's their story or a story they created. The Tiger uh, Lilies.
1: Did you? Did you? Oh, did I, did you see Last Apple Tree, which we were in? Yes. One of my favorites, Catamounts productions. Yeah, wow. wasn't amazing. Outdoors, it was my favorite. It was outdoors. It was so Colorado, yeah. the Bonnie and Clydes. Oh my god! I I one of the best them. bands in the I world. I follow them now. They're yeah. fantastic. If you yeah. do that bluegrassy kind of sound, oh,
0: shoot. Yeah, I went out to Boulder like that next weekend and just go see them. Oh yeah! And they yeah. were they were not they were not even the headliners. They got three songs and brought the house down.
1: And Ben's in the band now, isn't he? Yeah.
0: Yeah. He's been in the band for a while, I think. Oh, okay,
1: yeah. yeah but
0: cool. yeah, Ben Benberg Wilson is in that, rocking it out. He's a brilliant musician as well. But that show, I mean, the
1: Austin's writing was mwah. fantastic. Fantastic. Really fantastic. And the staging of it all it really makes sense. You know, and there is something about like Colorado history. Mm-hmm. You know, like I remember back when Hunger Artist was was around. I remember we did Letters to Home and that was all like Real letters to and from soldiers of war, and um, we all curated from the Colorado Historical Society. And there is something about that Colorado history, especially now that we're we're, we're flooded with people from all over the place, mm-hmm. and that that Colorado pride is so prevalent now. Yeah. you know. And um, I'm actually
0: I got a shot glass that proves I love Colorado. What does to say? It says <laughs> I love Colorado.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, then it must be true. Yeah, I had to get it because I don't want people to
1: kick me out of here. Well, so one of the <laughs> projects um, I'm looking to pick up in the next year or two here is um, based on a Chinese man mm. who was part of the gold rush mm. in the in the eighteen hundreds, and he was actually. He came as a railroad builder and then became part of the pan, uh, panhandling community mm-hmm. and created... He was one of the first successful Chinese men in the state of Colorado, and he, he settled in in um, Central City. Wow. So there's all this history on him, and a friend of mine who goes and sees like the... Um, uh, the, the ghost tours mm-hmm. they have around Halloween, she yeah. goes every year, and she keeps bringing them up. Chin Lin Su is the gentleman's name. Um, this is straight off of Wikipedia. Chin nice. Lin Su, 1837 to 1894, was an influential leader in the Chinese American community and a prominent figure in Colorado. He immigrated to the United States from Guangzhou, China in 1859 at the age of 22. Chin stood out amongst his Chinese peers at the time in the United States as he dressed like a Westerner and spoke perfect English. Oh. And um, there, there was some drama to his life, I guess, something about uh, an affair with his wife and uh, his body was exhumed after his death and things like that. So <clears throat> I'm going to head to the Colorado Historical Society myself and see, see what I can dig up on him and see if there's a play there. Man, that'd be great. You know, or something. It'd be fantastic. Totally. Yeah. Like, yeah. One of the things
0: that I've been enjoying so much about th- this influx of like all black, all Asian stories that have been coming out more, not as frequently as they probably should be, sure. But there's there's more of it happening. Like, there's a new movie coming out with Jamie Foxx and Michael B. Jordan that looks mm-hmm. really good. And but. um one of the things is like having your own nationality be brought out in a strong way. And there are stories there. We just were never taught them. We never yeah. read them.
1: This like, is the time.
0: like that sounds like an amazing story. Right. And like, then to come up in I mean because for, for that for that group of people during that time, I mean they were treated as yeah. almost as slaves, if not completely as such, to build our railroads and then be worse than third class citizens. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I mean and we're,
1: we're, I mean legally they weren't even considered humans. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, I'm, I'm, uh, i am i am i am going to be s- I should start filming for a short I've been cast as for Ooh. the same same idea as eighteen hundreds Chinese uh, coal mine worker and right right when like <clears throat> the laws were changing and the people the Chinese people were trying to fight back against being uh, um, paid poorly, mm. maltreated, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, be, oh, almost being pushed out too mm. and just, just, just prejudice, you know, when it's like, you know, a lot of the Western movement was built on the backs of Chinese people, mm. you know? Yeah. You know, so. It was built on the backs of every, like a lot of people and right. don't totally stories. Like,
0: it, they're not given, they're just due. Like, we should be hearing them. It's not just about um, you know, great white American generals who we tell their story of victory, whereas we don't look at it from the, from the perspective of the people who lost those battles. Right. Yes, maybe they forged what we started to see become America. There's no, there's no taking away from the birth of this nation, but we have to acknowledge how it was born. Right. What, you know, what was the impetus? What conceived it? It sometimes, if we, whether we'd like to hear it or not, I mean, it was conceived out of murder in some cases. It was conceived out of um, prejudicial slavery. All these things. It, hate. Yeah. In a lot of cases, it's bred out of hate. And we don't talk about that. And I think the best way to start moving forward in terms of healing is to acknowledge those stories that we buried to tell a different story.
1: There's a a certain kind of feeling that comes about when you listen to those old stories in today's context. Mm -hmm. There's almost like like the Green Book, right?
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Recent came out, best film, blah, blah, blah. And if you think about it now, it's... It's so you can't even believe it. it's so unbelievable and it's so you <clears throat> just hate to think that our country was like that that there was there was a small book of places for black people to go to that they could that they they wouldn't be that they were okay to go to and, and only if they were of a certain black class yeah I'm like what the F right mm-hmm. you know but yeah, I think we are. On the verge of um, a renaissance, in my opinion, as far as Asian-American representation in media. Yeah. You know, I mean, you already, you're already seeing it. I mean, Marvel picking up Master of Shaolin, mm-hmm. that that big project, that's huge. The yeah. Mulan story looks Ooh, amazing. Looks amazing. It looks dope.
0: Like, that's, like, that's going to um, be the best action movie of the year.
1: It looks so good. And there was so much... Politics Mm -hmm. around it. Mm -hmm. That I'm, I'm, I'm really. I mean, we'll see. Yeah, but but I'm really glad. It seems like that Disney's on the on the right side of it. You know. Agreed. I'm wondering why they made it non-musical. I'm thankful
0: that it's not musical.
1: Yeah, yeah, because it makes it different. Yeah, because these live actions, especially Lion King, Mm -hmm. it's like you're just making more money off of the same exact thing. Yeah. You know, especially with Lion King, like frame to frame, they're identical. Yeah. And considering these live action animals are not live action, they, I mean, it's an animated movie. Wait
0: a second, cats is totally
1: real. <laughs> oh God, that's not talking about cats. Uh, the memes and the cats, I don't know God, oh my God. Tweets I read. I, read a, I,
0: I can't read believe they these. took CGI, they, they CGI Jason Derulo's bulge and took it out. Are you serious? Yeah. Apparently he was complaining that he had a bulge in his cat suit and when he saw the final cut or whatever, like it was CGI'd and out. And I was like, what that's what you're worried about? It's not the fact that your career is over now?
1: <laughs> What's wrong with a little bulge?
0: Nothing's wrong with a little bulge. What's wrong is a little bit of cats? Uh,
1: yeah. A lot of big cats. The funny tweet I heard was or I read was uh, was like two thirds two thirds through the movie a man got up and said, This movie is bad. I'm leaving, and the whole (laughs) theater applauded (laughs) him. Just like the idea that they applauded this man for getting up and leaving, yet they still sat and watched the rest of the film.
0: (laughs) You gotta get your money's worth.
1: Like, going back to this renaissance of America, Asian Americans in in modern media, Mm -hmm. um, one of the biggest, greatest pieces of advice I was ever given Mm -hmm. was... If you want to see art that reflects more of who you are, you're probably going to have to make it yourself, mm-hmm. you know? And that's why, in, in, as far as in 15, I started really getting serious about writing, mm-hmm. you know? And um, have you seen um, Always Be My Baby? No. It's uh, It's on Netflix. It's got Keanu Reeves. Mm, Ali, well, yeah, Keanu Reeves is yeah. in it. But Ali Wong is it. So Ali, cool. Ali Wong in it. And like the first like five minutes in the opening sequence. Wong's character is a young teen, uh, you know, preteen. And she comes home to her house, which is empty. And she plays the answering machine. And it's her mom. And her mom's like, you know, do your homework, food's in the fridge, warm it up, no TV. And she goes and warms up her food and sits right in front of the TV and starts eating it. And I remember watching this really short, Sequence and just bawling, mm. just bawling tears because that's how being these people did it. When, when we, I, the first generation, our parents were like, "I'm not paying for childcare. I'm gonna teach my kid not to burn down the house. And just leave them." And that's that's how I grew up mm. from the age of five. Yeah, you know, from five, from the age of five. five. From the age of five, my parents, I was home alone from like eight PM at night all the way to like six AM in the morning. And um, well,
0: that's not bad. You're an hour before you go to
1: bed. Right, uh, right. Until like around I think eight or nine, I started realizing, oh, I could just stay up and watch Latin. <laughs> you know? But I remember watching that just like this in so much emotion, this feeling of wow, I've never had something I never watched something on film that represented that me so poignantly that touched me so much. And then this feeling of like, "Wow, we're, we're making it. Mm-hmm. Our stories are coming out. Yeah. Our stories come out, especially Vietnamese stories, because this country is so connected to our story. Our our narratives are intertwined. Yeah. You know, because because of this war that happened. You know, fifty." Years ago, 50 plus years ago now, you, you have some connection to the Vietnamese narrative. You have you, you served time, you knew somebody that served in the war, mm-hmm. you had um, Vietnamese neighbors that immigrated in, you people sponsored families, you know. We are people really, you know, fractured into this country, into different little areas and now as like the second generation is coming up and like we're thriving and you know we have high profile jobs you're starting to see just vietnamese americans more and more and more that that story is becoming more and more um prominent and sorry don't worry about it it's not like we're in a theater or anything (laughs) But relatable, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. just relatable. I mean, my play, Boat Person, I was lucky enough to you know, perform it out of state and around the country a little bit, and just the response of people just like, I didn't know that of these people went through that, mm-hmm. or just like, you know, they didn't know that after Saigon fell, you know, the Indochina Migration Refugee Assistance Act was passed which essentially gave us, you know, green cards to come here, you know, and that's why we're here, Mm -hmm. you know, which when, and when you're just like under some false pretense that like, oh, people are just trying to come in here and, and, you know, and you you hear a narrative like both person that says, no, (laughs) our country was torn apart, war ridden, and we had nowhere to go but you paved us away and all we had to do was just risk our lives and try to escape, you know, which is, you know, what my parents did and what what a lot of people did and how the, the ocean floors of the South China Sea are just riddled with the bodies of, of these Vietnamese people that just never made it, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, those kinds of things. I think people can identify with and People can, People need to hear, you know, for, for all the, um,
0: the trash talking. I sometimes allow myself to do about America. The the idea behind the land of milk and honey and of opportunity. I mean, that is something that people have latched onto and believe in. And in some cases, the people who were, who were not born latched onto it the hardest. And believe in it the most. And that it's 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 why it's important. We keep our borders open. It's why it's important because it's they they I always say buying is one of the most important things you can have. Like if you got people who buy in, no. like who, who see the vision and support it and like, okay, yeah, I'm going for it. And I'll and I'll back your play no matter what. And if you're getting that from people who, like I said, weren't born here, like that that kind of that should influence someone who was born here to be a better American. So I'm going to put my entire life, my entire family's life on jeopardy to make this journey. Mm. Like I'm doing this. And and I mean, that's one of the, I mean, that's one of the great things about America. That's how we got started. And we don't see that anymore. We we often shut it out. And the thing that is, because they don't look white, we we don't, we, we don't, we don't hear them anymore. And we try, there are people who try to keep those borders closed and want to build a wall and so on and so forth, because they don't look like us. So they, they can't possibly understand what it means
1: to be an American or what it, what that fight should look the like. The value of it. Yeah. You know, Like how can you appreciate the light when you've never seen the dark? Mm-hmm. You know, there's, I've heard arguments that immigrants are, more American than American-born people because they know the dark, yeah. they know what it's like out there, and they know what what and it, they they risk their lives to get here. Mm-hmm. So they have an appreciation for everything that you call American. You know, um, Ronnie Ronnie Chan, is in special. he says the Chinese the uh, the Mandarin word for for um, America means great land. Mm-hmm. The man for China means middle land. Hmm. So they already feel like you're the better place, you know, and wow. it's that, that universal perspective or that global perspective that's really, really, really fucking interesting. And, you know, this conversation is exactly what my, my, uh, my one-act play, The Difference, is about, you know, which is being produced uh, in February Ooh. by uh, Plug Plug. Do um, it, shameless plug. Um, it's being produced by 5280 Co-op, part of their six plays one night, mm. and um, I wrote it specifically for them, but the, the, the story revolves around um, this character, John, who's a, a Caucasian male who um, works with these other people, the global majority, mm-hmm. uh, air quotes. Um, and he's the kind of guy that doesn't like to, that avoids, that sidesteps conversations about race, Mm. the conversations we're having. Yeah. Like he sits in the corner quiet and won't Won't engage. Won't engage. It makes him uncomfortable. He waits until the conversation changes. He's like, guys, can we talk about something else? Mm. You know? And, um, it's really his journey. And his realization that his heritage is part of this toxic um, whiteness mm-hmm. that is poisoning this country. You know, yeah. from my from my perspective, you know, and and he realizes that that cre- treating everybody to some sort of base commonality is prejudice, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, I hear all the time where, where people's like, oh, I, treat, I don't see you as my Asian friend. Mm-hmm. You're just Peter, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, if you don't see me as an Asian person, then you don't fucking see me, yeah. you know? And this like putting the whole world through some sort of filter. So that you don't have to have these difficult conversations, or even acknowledge that yeah. white people have done some tons of fucked up shit, yeah. you know. And this this idea of um, get out of my country, and it's like you're not Native American, you know. Here, here, fuck up, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. That's you're
0: absolutely... I, I think that's that, that sounds really interesting. When does it go up in February? February.
1: Early February. I'll it up here.
0: Pull the phone. We need to get this, this calendar out there. I want to
1: promote the hell out of this. Early February. Um, it's really exciting for me. It's, it's my first time as a playwright that I can can just sit back. you know, mm-hmm. I'm not part of it on a production or performance um, basis, so I can just let it go. It's um, been cast and they're in Nice. They're in rehearsals right now.
0: Sweet. Who'd they cast?
1: I have no idea. Sweet. I sent them the final last week, and I was like, "Go do, do it, have fun,
0: do your thing." I got shit to do.
1: I <laughs> got Actually, I'm um, this first, at least first quarter. I'm not doing anything performance wise. Thank God. Nice. Yeah, I'm back writing more. I got too many stories in my head right now that I need to start putting on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, one night, sixth place, 5280 co-op, uh, 5280 artists co-op come mm-hmm. out of the ACAD, the Aurora Cultural Arts District at 600 Dallas Street in Aurora. Nice. February 6th through March 8th. Sweet. Oh, that's a decent run.
0: That's a great run.
1: Yeah. So check it out. Do it. Grab tickets. Grab tickets. Like them on Facebook.
0: Or get or get in line and get just be there.
1: Yeah, I love I love fifty two eighty co op and um, Stephanie Hancock and Adrian Martin Fullwood and Kenya. They 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 love doing racially brave pieces. Mm-hmm. The one piece I remember seeing, at either last year or from one of their other six plays one night production was um, a bunch of bunch of kids, like teens or early 20 year olds. It was like two Latino kids and uh, an Asian kid. And then it was just it, like, they were just sitting around BSing, right? And it was like one of those plays where you're like, what is this about? Mm-hmm. It's about nothing, but just talking. And then all of a sudden one of the Mexican kids drops the N word,
0: oh. calling
1: his other Mexican friend, the N word. Yeah. And it's kind of like just glazed over, and then all of a sudden, one of the other kids is just like, you know, that's not cool. Yeah, yeah. and I'm so sick of people my generation thinking it's okay to say that word. Oh. and I was like, what? I'm listening now. Yeah, you know, and I've been in a car with with other people like that, and I'm like, there's no black people in this car. Why do you guys keep saying that word? Mm. You know, and and I that in my own revolution too, because I've had. I've had black people call me that word, and uh, and and they're like, "Oh, you're you're an end to us," mm. you know, like like almost like this this like rite of passage, right? Like yeah, you're allowed, yeah. And, and it's kind of like uh, what Marvin Wayne says in his his yeah, It's like it's like you're, you're, it's cool if one of us gives you that card, yeah, but you can only use that card with the person that gave it to you. Yeah, you can't go around using it yeah, with yeah. other people. <laughs>
0: It's like that uh, like that Dave Chappelle skit where uh, he plays the white supremacist, but he's black.
1: <laughs> and he
0: drives past the white kids listening to rap music, and he calls them all the N-word. And they're like, oh, yeah! And I'm just like, I remember watching that, and I laugh at it to this day because, yeah, those, those three white boys are stupid. Yeah. You still don't have, you still can't say that. I remember the first time Fat Joe used the N-word in one of his rap songs. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Who gave him the right? And it's all at my school. It's all over. Right. It's all over. And it's and it's. Fat Joe's Mexican. Right? Yeah. Or uh, yeah. I'm assuming. Or Latin. Latin of some sort. I'm the I'm the uneducated one. I don't know. So send your letters and email to me. <laughs> um, and I'll try and do my best to figure out Fat Joe's nationality. I wish.
1: I wish there was a way for us to find out. Yeah.
0: I mean, are there are other smartphones or yeah. anything like that. I that wish there was a, a rectangle. Let's see. Uh,
1: well, let's see what Google says. What race?
0: Bad Joe. Bad Joe. Um, apparently, he is. I uh, was a member of the Puerto Cuban Rican Link. Cuban. Puerto Rican Cuban. Okay, good to know. Uh, yeah.
1: Latin of some sort.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, anyway, he was a member of uh, Cuban Link and uh, good friends with Big Pun. Uh, love it. Right. Yeah. So
1: anyway, I just, I
0: just, I find it so funny. Maybe not funny. I am so. Distant from the use of that word, that it's it's in my music that I love to listen to. It's in rap music predominantly, and I love listening to rap music. I swapped out the N word for actor. It syncs up perfectly. So if I got a song that is like a hype song, I never hear the N word. I hear actor. Like I'm coming for you, actor. I'm burying these actors. That's hilarious. Yeah, and it 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 works for me. Um,
1: I will be honest. When I'm like when I'm rapping along. By myself in my mm-hmm. car, I I, I see it, yeah. you know. But I replace the word with ninja.
0: Ninja. There you go. You are closer to <laughs> ninja than anything else.
1: Because no, no, he's well, Asian. Well, and, I, and, I, <laughs> <laughs> and I've I've uh, I've been around groups of Asian people yeah. that use the word ninja colloquially as the N word. Nice. Like My ninja. This and that. And I'm like, you're just an Asian person getting yeah. it, and saying same n word.
0: Yeah. And when you say it like that, you're putting that, the real word, in my brain.
1: But, and I had to explain this <laughs> to my kids, which is an, it's so interesting the evolution of that word. Yeah. First, it's used to demoralize a group of people mm-hmm. and um, establish a higher, a lower status for them. Yeah. They take that, personalize it use it themselves, flip the script on it, right? And, and now it's a term of endearment for each other. Yeah. And But only they can use it like that. And now people are so envious of that endearment that they want to do it too. Yeah. But it's like, no, you didn't go through the hell yeah. of, of the, the bad part of that work. To you know, you, you don't get it. You don't get to enjoy the fruits of it without totally. going through the pains of it. You know. Yeah. Not, and, not that but, people nowadays went through the pain of slavery or anything like that. Which whatever. It's that's that's cultural. That's that's, that's, that's cultural. Family. Right. That's embedded in your DNA.
0: Yeah, and that's and, and honestly, this is a conversation that I mean, we need. I need another. I need a black person in the room. This a conversation. Black person to have this conversation. I need. I need someone to have that conversation because it's again. I can give. I can give my opinion and opine about my perspective. That's fully removed, right? And never get it. It's all third party. Yeah, yeah. And w- w- but yeah. I think. I think that that suffrage is that's it's all handed down. If you are sure. worth your salt, you're connecting with your younger generations. You're telling them this is why it's important to you know keep being you and to fight Mm -hmm. for your rights, that's very important. And it's, again, like it's, I've started reading more and more about Native American history since I did Black Elk Speaks because, because of it. Like Black Elk Speaks is like the only fully fledged theater play that I've seen or heard about being produced to, to mass amounts of people that in like the Denver center The Aurora Fox did it when I, when I was a part of it. And like that had my people and it was our people's story the entire time. And they even had native Americans playing white people who, you know, brought us blank blankets that they probably shouldn't have and so on and so forth. Right. So, I mean, it's, you, you have to, for my personal perspective, like I avoided so much of my native American heritage for a very long time because it never felt like it was mine. Right. It was, it was my my biological father's, and he disappeared well before I was born. So it's like I that's I had no tie to it. I had nothing but my long hair and my red skin. And then as I tried every time I tried to experience Native Americanness, quote unquote, um, I got pushed back. I was denied from, from Native from Americans. Natives. I got pushed back. Yep. So I was like, oh, so it's clearly not mine. Yep. I, so when I figured that out in high school, it's like, well. I won't apply for any native American scholarship because I won't, because, because it won't, it will feel wrong.
1: Cause it feels wrong to you. Cause you don't feel like you identify with yeah. that group and you feel like you're taking somebody else's plate. Right. And uh. then,
0: and then I did. And then while I was doing black oak speaks, even my efforts to try and ingratiate myself with the 100% blood native Americans who had lived that life and that struggle. And we only do, you know, extra work because that's all they'll give us. And like, like pounding their pounding the pavement with that message, even that wasn't. They like, even then they wouldn't let me in. Like flat out telling me to my face, like there are Navajo tribe leaders that will not accept you. I'm like, oh, but here's here's some blue face paint you can use that will let you use. I'm like, well, that's that's nice to you. <laughs> God damn. Yeah. So I mean, and, and so I've I've had to struggle that all the time, and that's not to say that they, they that I haven't encountered. I haven't been welcomed at times. Like there's a, a man I have a great deal of respect for, Travis Robertson, who was in Blackout Speaks, and he treated me like a human the entire time. Mm-hmm. It was never about what I was or wasn't to the to the to the people that were you know pushing back against me. He was always just welcomed. And the, the the people who've done that, I mean, the, those those are the people that made me want to embrace it even more. Like, ah, oh, see, there's good people. But, if yeah. you and but. Like outside of that, like my my heritage has been Native American and Irish, and those are just words to a lot of people until you start living it.
1: You got you got to find your own way. Matt. Absolutely, you got to blaze your own path, and you got. I mean, your heritage and your identity, especially when you you have no connection like like you do, you got to figure it out yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I find the first generation experience is a lot like that. You know, these first generations and, you know, half-bloods, mm-hmm. you know, where, where you you are sitting between cultures, you know? I was never Asian enough to hang out with Asian kids. Mm-hmm. I was never, but I'm not white enough to be fully hanging out with white kids, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I always say being Asian is like being a wolf. You either run with the pack or you're a wolf. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was always a lone wolf. And I remember in high school there was a really attractive Vietnamese girl that I was I really wanted to date, and she rolled with the Asian kids. And the Asian kids you knew because they rolled together. And they, they were always together. Were oh, yeah. always a big group oh, yeah. together. And I was I grew up in Arvada, Colorado. S- spoke straight English, mm-hmm. you know. Uh all my friends were all Caucasian because they were the people that I grew up with that went from my grade school to my junior high to my mm-hmm. high school. There's just the people that were always around me. You know, and I could never break into that group because the Asian group, because they saw me as an out outlander, mm-hmm. like an outlier, you know. But when I'm with my my white friends, they you know, I had to deal with the normal the normal shit, mm-hmm. you know. People are like, do you ever forget you're Asian? <laughs> you know, I'm like, yeah. I go in the bathroom, I'm like, oh my god, oh shit. Yeah. You know, it's just like weird, stupid questions like that, <laughs> and just like constantly mar- be marginalized. Yeah, you know, it goes back to what you're saying from your 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 play of differences.
0: Like, if you don't see, if you don't acknowledge that, then you then you don't you don't fully know me. You'll always be this close. You'll never get the full experience, and, and for those of you at home listening, I did like the inch mark between my thumb and forefinger. Uh, some of us know that uh, pain all too well. if You know what I'm talking about. But yeah, it's a dick joke. Anyway, it's there's that that if there is that slight bit of distance to an experience, it's just it's just not fully realized, and how I, we can't. We can't bridge that until you see it, until we talk about it, until we
1: live it together. That right there is what I consider a woke person. A a person, you know, a a white person that can say, hey, your experience is so different than mine. Mm -hmm. I can't even begin to wrap my brain around it. I'm willing to, but I accept that I will never understand. Those are the woke fuckers. You know, there's a certain kind of humility to it that they have, that they're curious, but they realize that they'll never get there. They'll never get the answer that they're so curious for. Yeah. You know, it works both ways, though, because I know I know I know white friends that they feel like they have no culture. Mm-hmm. because their culture is just being American. Yeah. You know? it's, it's all appropriated
0: from other people. It's, it's
1: all, yeah, it's all appropriated. Yeah. It's like, I get with my family, Thanksgiving dinner, mm-hmm. we open presents Christmas. Yeah. Shoot fireworks on Fourth of July. Totally. That's not a culture. No. That's just doing something on your day off. Yeah. Tradition is different than culture. Tradition is different than culture. Yeah. You know, and I, rem- I, rem- I remember those friends just, being very envious of me because you know i have buddhism and i have all these practices and i you know when somebody dies we do this and on the anniversary of someone's death we do this and Mm -hmm. marriages we do this and and i just remember people just being like wow that's so cool and like so interested and they want to know and they want to learn you know Mm -hmm. these are the people that usually have like you know, a Buddha in their house, or like some yeah. sort of like Eastern uh, accoutrement. That, that I
0: have a copy of the Kama Sutra. I'm I'm woke <laughs> as fuck. Yeah, wrong? exactly. Wow,
1: you're woke as fuck.
0: Yeah, literally. But I'm
1: But dumb. bump.
0: We've uh, we've been. Uh, this has been a great conversation. Oh, Thank yeah. you so much for sharing with me. But um, we haven't asked, theater Peter, right?
1: How did it happen to you? How did it happen? Um, So, the story I always hang out, hang my hat on, it's one of my earliest memories, actually. Um, I I believe I was like six or seven. Um, It was at one of these large family gatherings, huge family gatherings, cousins everywhere, Mm. uncles, drunk, drunk uncles. Nice. And we were. Me and my cousins were like in one of the rooms playing around and I was doing imitations of our drunk uncles (laughs) and, and I I had all my cousins were floored. They were all on the ground. They were all cracking up laughing. And my cousin Rose, who was two years older than me, um, she looked at me and was like, you are so funny. You should be an actor. And I remember the words just slapping me in the face like this big epiphany mm. and just being like, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. Mm. Because I, be, pretending was the greatest fun I ever had. You know, mm. I remember, pre, you know, playing with my little brother and pretending like I was dead. You know, those little things. Yeah. Like... And, you know, and now, and like, everybody, I brought those skills to life. And I'm, like, dead on stage, you know, and I'm practicing my dead
0: breathing. That you know? was really good dead breathing, sir. <laughs> really good dead breathing. Because I instantly checked the belly.
1: Because, <laughs> you know, I yeah. I mean, a show like that, which is, like, almost, like, masturbatory for actors, you Yeah. know, like, um, when other industry people are there, I'm like, oh, I know they're watching me. I know they're watching me. You know, but, yeah. And it was like from then on. It was like I knew I wanted to be an actor. I remember up late in my room watching movies, and my dad pounding on the door and being like, "Go to sleep!" And I'm like, "I'm doing research," <laughs> you know. And- but even then, I you know I auditioned for everything in high school. Mm-hmm. I um, I took classes. You know, the Arvada Center as an adolescent and like, um, and yeah, all this stuff, but I did not get cast until college. Mm-hmm. Christy martin Tour Larson. Who goes? 2003. She cast me in The Laramie Project. Nice. Yeah. And that was my very, very first show. Where was that? Ever, ever, ever at Metro. Nice. At Metro State. It was five years after Matthew Shepard's death. And, um man yeah, that show with David Karasik. Uh, Stace, Stacey Nomes, mm-hmm. uh, uh all these, man, all these people that don't actually even act anymore now, huh? or that I know of, you know, but it was, that was kind of, just kind of like War Anthology was with care and was a pivotal point in my career. So the, the Laramie project was huge for me because mm-hmm. it was, it was validation. It was like, I got this. Not only that, but the very first line of that play is on November fourteenth, nineteen ninety-eight. The Tectonic Theater Company um, descended on Laramie, Wyoming. Is the first line of that play. We opened on November fourteenth, which is was, was also my twenty-first birthday. So I remember that day just being like, this is bigger than me. Right. This is, this is, everything is right yeah. right now. You know, in my, in my, my whole career, I've just been finding those little road, those, those um waypoints mm-hmm. that the universe has given me. This last show I was in um, around the world in 80 days yeah. You know, um, Phileas Foggs leaves, embarks on the journey on, like, a, October October 8th or whatever. Mm. But he, throughout the play, he says, I will arrive back in London on December on Saturday, December 21st. And our second-to-last show was on Saturday, December 21st. You know, and it was like, all these little things, with, I'm really big into New Orleans. You know, just like tips of the hat of the universe is like you're doing the right thing. Nice. You're you're on the right path. You're going the right way. That's great. Yeah. But yeah, that's why I feel lucky because I've known what I wanted to do my whole life. You know, and not many there's not many people in the world that ever have doubts. Huh? Ever have doubts? Never. Wow. Not once. Never. I mean doubts that I'm gonna die doing this, probably, well, but yeah. Well you know, yeah, like, of course we are. You know, but if we're uh, lucky,
0: we'll die on stage. We'll be doing we'll be the night last night
1: after night. Oh <laughs> you mean for real? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In a death so scene On closing night. On closing night. I'm closing
0: that's, night. That's how I wanna go. I wanna go out and have an style on closing <laughs> night of, you know, I don't know. I'll I'll do Othello and I'll finally be Iago. <laughs> Old ass Iago. Really old Asiago. Can I be at least ninety-five? That'd be
1: great. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about uh, a bucket rules, bucket list rules, because because around the world in eighty days, I got to play Passport Two, nice. which is a bucket list role for me. You know, so what what other bucket list rules do you are there for Um,
0: I would love to be Black Elk and Black Elk speaks. Like uh, I was Manuelito and a few other tribal leaders, but I mean, that, that would be awesome. Um, I got to play chief, um, in one Over the cuckoo's nest, which
1: mm. was one of those
0: plays where like, so I, I got that bucket list crossed off, but I never, I never gave myself permission to believe that I could live up to that. Like, Oh, that'd be great to be chief one day or a character like chief, but I don't know if I'm native American enough. I don't know if I'm, enough to carry that that performance but you know i got there and that was once you had that you're like oh fuck that's awesome yeah um others include yeah you'll love to be iago one day yeah, um danny in the deep blue sea i need to be danny
1: mm.
0: my I've, i don't know if my window was closing on that but i want if there's a theater boss out there who's listening to this please put that on and pre-cast me please put that on there and precast me. You will not regret it. You can. You don't even have to pay me. I'll do that for free. So you can give all the money and get an equity contract for my Roberta. That's totally fine. <laughs> or you yeah, whatever. Yeah, like you just uh, let's give me a four-week run and we'll be good. That's not asking for much. No, no. I mean, you're going to make money. You're going to make money. <laughs> you're going to make money. It's going to be a great show and I'm probably... I'm probably gonna overact the shit out of it because I've been wanting to do that part of my entire life. So it might not be the best performance, but you still won't hate it because I'll be good enough. Nice. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah, those those are mine. Any more for you?
1: Um, Puck, Midsummer Night's Dream, which, which, uh, knock on wood, I read for for twenty twenty co-shakes. Sweet. So I'm still waiting for them to call me back for that, or um. Let you know. Waiting for the offer. Mm-hmm. So, Puck midsummer. I've always wanted to play Jackie Chan in his own memoirs.
0: The, are those real? Um, the Jackie Chan memoirs?
1: No, it's not been done before. Oh. It's just like, no. know in his, in his epic bio, there's going to be a Jackie Chan epic bio
0: oh, totally. at some point. Yeah, there has to be that. Yeah. At yeah. some point. And
1: I've, I always thought my dad looked like Jackie Chan. <laughs> so... I don't have. That. If I had the hair like he did, the Rumble in the Bronx, <laughs> the big floppy hair, Drunken Master, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Drunken Master, oh yeah. yeah, you
0: know the hair. That's. I mean, shit. we can we can CGI that on. If we can take off <laughs> Jason Derulo's dong, we can put some nice <laughs> flowing locks on right. you. Can't they do? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're bringing people back from um, from the dead, from the dead to be in movies. And thank you for doing that, Star Wars.
1: Thank you for Star. I know. Yeah. I, that that was nice to see, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and Peter Pan,
0: Peter Pan, ever since I was a
1: kid. Hmm. And I specifically remember like being nine or so, and the big Broadway sh- Peter Peter Pan that was being put up was famously um, portrayed by a female. Mm-hmm. And I remember that at the time, and I was like, oh, really? Okay. And I thought that they only cast women as Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how like disconnected I was I was like oh too bad I'm not a woman I would love to play Peter Pan but yeah I would love to play Peter Pan they're all very jovial yeah like young at heart mischievous kind of roles that's you that's totally me yeah Um, Jacqueline Garcia came and saw Around the World in 80 Days and she was like two is just you. Mm -hmm. That's just you running around up there. Yeah, pretty Mm -hmm. much. Mm -hmm. Pretty much. It's fun. With a French accent. (laughs)
0: Hit hit us with a French accent, because I can't do one.
1: Uh, A little French French accent?
0: Um, (laughs) Put you on the spot
1: now. Um, 2 is a wonderful role to play. I had a very great coach, um, Leah with uh, UCCS uh, is the, thing, the thing about the French accent is you need to is, is first when I approach a accent I, it's threefold one is sound replacement mm-hmm. so you replace all your R's with a glut, guttural R mm-hmm. and um, all the does turn into Z's, and then you lose the H altogether so I am a I am happy to be here. Mm. Or oh, the biggest, the hardest line I had was, he did what he said he could. What he gave his word he would. Mm. That was one of the hardest lines. I had. And then second is musicality. Yeah. And then um, mouth placement, which uh, is which a French accent. Every scene is up here. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's very small opening. In your, in your mouth, which makes it really hard to project. Mm. So you have to adjust and uh, change it a little bit, but you want everything still up front. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty damn good. Dude, fake it till you make it, man. Seriously. They, I got the email notice that they wanted me to send a tape into Audition, and I just went for it. Never, ever had a Fred Jackson before. And I just, my thing is I always go for the, the, um, stereotype. Yeah. Shoot for it. You shoot for it and then you refine it Mm -hmm. because somewhere in your brain from watching all this media and shit, you have it there. Yeah. You've heard it before. You've heard it a lot. So you can reach for it and go for it. And then YouTube. Yeah. You you learn anything on YouTube.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can, I know how to start a car like by like jumping it without, uh, cables, because I can open up the bike. I've watched YouTube videos of like pulling out the center, like the box underneath, and using the wires to like
1: vroom, vroom, start it up. Like in the movies.
0: Yeah, so you can totally. I mean, you can learn if you can learn how to build a pipe bomb on YouTube. You can start a car or learn an accent. YouTube, <laughs> it's a great source for some really scary things.
1: We really plugged Google in all these.
0: Yeah, definitely. just juj- Google <laughs> it. We've done a lot Would of stuff. Ju-
1: Jujulies. To-
0: yeah, oh big mouth. Fucking best show.
1: But yeah, I mean now I, I can put French accent on my resume now. There you go. Along with walking with my hands. I had to learn how to do that. Ooh. Yeah, I taught myself how to do that. Um That was fun.
0: That's impressive. Yeah. I'm yeah. scared. I'm doing a movie. I gotta drive an ATV.
1: I really don't wanna biff it on that. Dude, be careful. Yeah. Dude, remember um Emily Van Dyne? No,
0: I'm not very popular. I don't have a lot of friends. Maybe. No, no,
1: no. She was the she was the Olympic Olympic oh swim. Van Dyken. Van Dyken. Emily.
0: Emily? Um, uh, something. Yeah, I, don't I think it was Van Dyken though. Eventually, married Amy. Tom. Amy Van Dyken. Amy Van Dyken. Yeah.
1: Which she is uh, still the highest. Highest decorated gold medalist mm-hmm. swimmer above above what's that guy's name? Um, Phelps. Phelps. Yeah. Right. Do you know? And she's a she's a Colorado, she's Colorado. She Mary heard. Tom Ruin. Hunter with the Broncos. Did you know she she can't walk? Yeah. From an ATV accident.
0: Great. No, I'm terrified. Sorry. Sorry. No, it's fine. Uh, be careful. Well, thank God for insurance. Well, but
1: now I guess she she um, travels the country, the world even as a motivational speaker, you know, because she, there's, there's like three or four different kinds of asthmas. Mm-hmm. And when she was a kid, she had a ball. Jeez. And she, asthma, like the worst asthma ever. She was made fun of her uh, constantly running out of breath and not being able to, she was physically like ill and unkept. Yeah. And she became the know, highest yeah. decorated gold medal swimmer in Olympic history, and then she had her accident and now she travels the country exclaiming that she will walk again, mm. you know, you know, doctors have no idea she's, her spines you know, messed up and mm. she can't feel anything from the neck down or whatever, but she, she is convinced that she'll walk again, you know?
0: Don't be surprised if there's a lot of cuts of me sitting on the ATV and then cutting to me getting off the ATV dramatically. With somebody else, right? <laughs> yeah, somebody else. Runs. So what? What is this project? Uh, it's called the uh, Hunting Season, and it's uh, based off of a short story entitled Trumps America, and I get to play the physical embodiment of Trumps America.
1: Is that independent
0: feature. Uh, it's gonna be a DU film thing. Oh, okay. yeah. So we're shooting in February. So yeah, yeah a studio film. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. But I'm getting paid for it, so like, fuck okay, put mm-hmm. that on the resume. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, dude. Footage. What footage. That? Get that on your reel. Get the reel. I have to get a reel.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm putting mine together now. I like after 17 years. Yeah. I was like, I think I have enough footage. And I was like, oh, yeah, I got enough for like a three minute reel. Not that long. Do you know, but decent. Yes. Decent enough. I
0: think I've got enough too. At least at least two minutes worth.
1: Just gathering it all together is the hardest part. Yeah. I've learned to ask right after the project happens because going back
0: and looking for it
1: is not easy.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm lucky that a lot of the stuff I've been in has been in like film festival stuff with the same people. So they've got them all saved. Oh, good. That's good. lucky. But yeah, should definitely hit the month. Got it. Anyway. But yeah.
1: So Passion Play is next for you. Passion
0: Play is next. You're doing and then uh, we they announced it on facebook so i guess i could say it. i'll be doing the crucible with
1: oh awesome. jason maxwell
0: yeah yeah so
1: be oh i this. did see that i did see that over at minors yeah
0: so next summer let's uh let's take you back into time to a time not so but a time that america forgot and the then it's reliving the- almost every single year <laughs> the crucible the crucible arthur miller I'll be a I'll be a Native American Giles Corey so this is going to be a fun little thing holy shit I'll have longer hair by then too so it's going to stick out like a sore thumb nice that is my refrigerator buzzing in the background (laughs) nice cool so question for you sir yeah when we get to this point in time in the the podcast yeah when you got started like when you like high school college and stuff what was that ghost light you wish somebody left on for you a piece of advice you wish
1: you had heard when you got started. Oh, piece of advice you wish you heard. The ghost life. You know, um, I would have liked for somebody to tell me that my instincts are valid. Hmm. Um, it took me a while. I mean, I think, whether we like to admit it or not, actors have this self-confidence of, I don't know, something brittle. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't finish that metaphor. No. You know, but like, I mean, we, we, we have no backbone. We may pretend a lot, but that's our job and it's easy. But every single actor you, that... You mean, or is out there? We, we all think that we are going to be exposed as a fraud at any site. Absolutely. You know, you 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 get a call to go to an audition or whatever, and you read the email and, and the sides and everything a hundred times. Where is it? What time is it at? What do I have to have prepared? What am I supposed to wear? I think I got it now. And you show up, and you still think you got it completely wrong, mm-hmm. and we're still terrified that you missed something that is going to out you as an amateur. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And that is so constant in, I think, every actor's career mm-hmm. all the time. You know, until you make it and you're like, you know, you're getting purple uh, Skittles in your dressing room and all that stuff. But...
0: Mm. I love purple Skittles. Oh, I think the best. I the best. They're the best. They're the best. Don't even started about the green ones. Oh, anyway. you, those, I'll let you have all those.
1: They're a green apple
0: now. Oh, now they're green apple. They're not
1: lime.
0: Thank God, because who wants lime? But they're green apple. If it's not, if it's not a margarita or a Dos Equis, I don't want lime. <laughs> but
1: um, I work. I work highly off my instincts now. Whether I would go out. An audition for something, whether I will accept a role, whether um, the trajectory of a character, whatever it is, I go for my gut now, mm-hmm. and I trust it wholeheartedly. You know, you might have to adjust it and change it. You probably will to meet somebody else's interpretation, mm-hmm. because that's what theater collaborative art is been yeah. but um, I try to trust myself now and trust that I got my shit together. I've been doing this long enough. So yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's a great that's a great ghost light to leave on. It, it Michael um, Mike Berbiglia is yeah. a stand up comic, and he's yeah. got this one joke where he's, where he's talking about what he is as a comedian, and it's basically like. When you say, I don't like your comedy, you're basically saying, I don't like you, you know, your personality. And I think the best of us actors, let me me rephrase, I'm I'm gonna find better words here. The actors that I gravitate towards are the ones that are the most honest with themselves and they don't hide themselves when they're on stage. Where yes, they are a separate person, but there is choice and life experience that is brought to the stage because that is something that any audience member, if they're paying attention, can latch onto, and then they'll follow that. And the best actors are the ones that bring that stuff out. And if those are also my favorite actors because those are the ones that like fucking rep work. Yeah, and they trust. They book. They can. They book. And they. And it's because. But they. They have this added thing that's constantly fighting them. It's like, if I don't get it, it's me.
1: That goes back to our piece of vulnerability being the driving point behind courageousness. Mm -hmm. Because they're courageous enough to be vulnerable. Because every character that we play are really just exaggerations of minor parts of our personality. Yep. You know? Absolutely and I think you're right because I do meet a lot of actors that are in the grind and they're, they're, they're somewhat lost. And you, if you ask them like, why did they do this? Why do they love film theater or whatever? And they will use the escapism mm-hmm. as their number one motivation because they fucking hate themselves, yeah. you know? And I, I, I trust me. I've, I've gone through the gamut. I've hated myself plenty of times, you know, yeah. but you're right. It wasn't until I've had a quite of a human evolution in the last like three or four years, but it shows in my work, you know, I've reached a newer, a, a newer level of my gain per se, because I've discovered who I am and I've, I've accepted who I am, you know, and that's what people want to see. They, I mean, our job is humanity, yeah. you know. And if you can bring more of that to your work, that's compelling. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I, I, let me say, i me and you have been contemporaries for a while now, and sure. the work that I see you booking now is, it, it's a, it, it's, it speaks to the evolution you've gone through oh. the last three years. There has been a, a greater focus of self. I think when I when I see and talk to you, yeah. that that is something that like, pulls me in. Why, for the last two months, I wanted you on this? It's because right. there's there's something that I think you've learned mm-hmm. that is just that whether it's personal or bigger than that. Which in some cases, what's bigger than personal growth? They can. When, you found those things and that's coming to light on stage. And it's beautiful to see that come out because you are a person that should be telling stories. You, you have the merit to tell any story and it's, I'm really glad to see that happening for you. I mean, it's not like I hadn't, like I didn't, you know, I wasn't like a, I don't know, a donor at the beginning of your career, but it is something to be proud of as just this onlooker going like, see, he's doing it. It can get done. Totally. And, and I think that has been a big part of just trusting more of your instincts, as you just said, at that seems to be very apparent to me.
1: Right. Yeah. Thank you. Of course. I really appreciate that. Um, Yeah. There part of that evolution, it it has been not putting acting on the back burner Mm -hmm. anymore you know, I got I got laid off of my my third day job. And the same story happens, a big company buys the little company and they clean house. And when that happens to you over and over again, doing something that you don't want to do in the first place, I was finally like, fuck this. You know, and I made acting full time a priority. And that was twenty nineteen for me. And I've had months where I made more money than I ever had, you know, and it's it's a. I think I said this to you before, where it's amazing how when you take the the safety net out from under you, that's when you really fly. Mm-hmm. You know,
0: you're absolutely right. Just gotta jump. Hope the chute opens. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Definitely, um, Peter. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you sir. I really appreciate you coming out and it's I like it when it's with the, you're talking about what I shoot for when I do a podcast. It's I want it to sound like two friends hanging out talking yeah. about theater and life and I'm thankful for that. Hand shook. you love it because you can see it at home. Ladies and gentlemen, um, the actor is Peter Trin. I hope you go see his show um, Differences.
1: the difference the difference. Part of fifty two eighty artists co-ops uh, six plays in one night. And you can follow anything I'm doing on my website. Nice. Peter Trim.net. T-R-I-N-H at the end. Nice. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Don't not to be confused with Peter Trim, the famous Asian born star. What? No, I'm
1: kidding. That's oh not a <laughs> real about to hit <Get> that <laughs>
0: juju, ju-ju- <laughs> The Jujul hit it up. And uh, turn the turn your phone on mute for that. Uh, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Ghost Lights Podcast. We will be back next week with, it's about damn time, folks. I'll have Maggie Stacey on. Um, we will probably drink some whiskey and we'll talk theater. and We'll talk about her show that just wrapped up, Parfumery. But in the meantime, like I said, go to petertrin.net. Follow this man. He's a great artist and a good dude. This is the Ghost Lights Podcast. The song is War by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. Please download it on YouTube. Um, not YouTube. I'm listening it and playing it for you for my podcast on YouTube because we're really high tech here. Go to iTunes, Spotify, wherever this beat is sold. I love you, Ghosties. <laughs>